Volunteers will fan out across Detroit this summer to take the city's temperature to see where heat has the greatest impact on public health. The citizen-led science project will use thermal sensors mounted on cars and bicycles to measure temperature and humidity variations at different times and locations on a single day. The environmental justice group EcoWorks will collect the data and create a map of Detroit's urban heat islands. Jordan Larson is coordinating the project, and he says people who live in cities are especially vulnerable to extreme heat. Heat from the sun is is sort of captured and stored in services like concrete and in buildings, uh, much more than it is in areas that have more vegetation and tree cover and those sorts of things. Um, And so in urban landscapes, we can find that during um, high heat events especially, um, we can see differences in temperature ranging in, in up to like 20 degrees Fahrenheit between urban areas and, and less urban areas. And by mapping sort of where the distribution of heat is within the city, we can find out um, which neighborhoods and which areas within the city are most impacted by extreme heat. Basically in every way that you can imagine, um, heat uh, is dangerous. And in the United States, we've had on average close to 700 heat-related deaths per year that are avoidable. You mentioned you'll be doing this on one day. It doesn't seem like you'd get a very big sample size there. Wouldn't you need to gather a lot more data uh, to get a complete and accurate picture of how serious the problem is, like you know, doing this over a several-day period? So um, there's sort of a few things at play here. Uh, the first is that, um, for the most part, the the different sort of variables or factors that affect um, the distribution of heat within the city physically, um, in terms of those sort of the presence or absence of certain types of infrastructure, like roads and buildings, those sorts of things, those are the major drivers of of heat. And um, those things don't change day to day. Um, So while we may, on a particular day, see just um, overall in the city, a slightly higher or slightly lower high temperature, um, the sort of distribution that we'll see of these of these heat islands or these areas that are hotter than others um, on a just sort of um, average day um, won't necessarily change very much. So again, if we don't collect on a, if we don't collect data on a day that is you know record breaking temperature, which it probably um, is unlikely to happen, um, that doesn't mean that we can't learn sort of um, a lot of rich information about the distribution of heat within the city. Um, And there are other variables that, of course, can change um, what we would see in these maps, which include, um, you know, the presence of of wind. um, And since we have large bodies of water, um, you know, close to the city, especially with the Detroit River, the like the wind direction and, and stuff can play a major role. So one of our goals for this data collection day is to also pick a target date, um, uh, and adapt that target date as we get closer um, based on the conditions that we see. Um, so as long as we find a day that's primarily clear, so um, limited cloud cover and limited wind, um, and it's a relatively hot day, we should still be able to get the information that we need about how heat is distributed within the city. Now, how do you plan to conduct these tests in the midst of a pandemic? Uh, what safety precautions are you taking? One of the things that we're really grateful for is that the the sort of um, procedure or process that was designed by the sort of NOAA affiliated organization that's coordinated these um, heat mapping campaigns um, is that they've created a, a very uh, sort of public health informed process um, this summer. And so 
um, all of the data collection, since it will happen with either personal vehicles or in just a few special cases, bicycles, um, anyone who volunteers with us um, will be able to mount the, the sensor on their, their vehicles themselves um, and then do all of the traverses for the day um, and not have to come into direct contact with anyone. Pretty much the only direct um, potential for contact is um, in handing off the sensors to each um, volunteer which my plan is to just drop off the, the equipment on people's porches, give them a call, let them know it's there, and then they can pick it up. And the same thing for the end of the study. You know, after they've completed their data collection, they will just pack up their sensors back in the, the box that we provided for them, and then they could leave it on their porch, and then we'll come collect it from them. But it is um, that COVID connection is something that is, is very important. Um, if we have a chance to talk about that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, go ahead. Um, mm -hmm. In particular, it's a really important and concerning time to be um, working around the issue of extreme heat when we're in the midst of a pandemic. Um, and there are a few reasons for that. The first is that our primary strategies for keeping people safe during heat waves, um, especially in urban landscapes, is to provide um, communal spaces for cooling off, whether that's in cooling centers that are promoted or um, sort of sponsored by the city. Um, or in public pools and splash parks and those sorts of things, um, which residents can come and travel to, um, to cool off. And the obvious concern with that is that we have to gather people in communal spaces um, in these sort of strategies. And uh, for many people, they may be concerned about COVID and may not actually try to access these um, resources during the pandemic, which on one front, um, especially for the elderly who are most vulnerable to heat waves. Um, they are the most vulnerable de uh, demographic. They're also the most vulnerable to COVID. Um, and we may see that residents that would otherwise benefit and visiting a cooling center could be life-saving for some folks may not actually pursue that option during the heat wave out of fear for, um, for COVID. And so, yeah, it's concerning. And, and just one more thing that I would want to say on that is that um, for, the, um, for the cooling centers, um, they have a fairly robust um, sort of process in place to make sure that they're being as safe as possible for COVID, which includes, um, you know, limiting capacity, which in itself can be potentially a problem if we have a lot of community members trying to access these cooling centers. Um, but they're also taking temperature checks um, when entering the buildings. And for residents that are in the midst of a potential heat stroke scenario, your body temperature will actually raise to the point that if you did a temperature check, it would seem that you have a fever because um, your body temperature would raise up to above 100 degrees. Um, and if that may bar some residents from entering um, cooling centers because of the fear of COVID, that may actually not be COVID, but instead may be heat stroke. And so these are just uh, you know, an intersection of, of dangerous and concerning um, realities for our, our local residents that definitely deserves a lot of our concern and attention.